magic to it. When I'm at Ramah, I am home. Welcome to Kolber Ramah, a Reshet Ramah project of podcasts. My name is Shira Farbman, and I have been going to Camp Ramah in New England, colloquially known as Palmer, since 2005. I was in Nivonim 2015 and went on seminar uh, 2016, and I have had the joy of being a madricha, a counselor, uh, for the past three summers. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Arya Callender, a fellow Palmer Ramanic. Arya was a chanich, a camper, at Palmer for four summers, a madrich for four summers, and a roche da for four summers. Um, as well as he uh, was part of our oldest day da uh, at Camp Nivonim for six summers. Uh, so welcome, Arya, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Um, awesome. So I told a little bit about uh, kind of a, just a tidbit of your time at camp, but can you tell us a little bit about your Ramah story, what brought you to camp, um, and the path you took um, uh, on Sevet, or anything else you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. I, Ramah, Ramah has been a part of my family's life as kind of a greater family story for a long time. My mother worked at Ramah for many years and does once again now, um, as did my father. My grandfather worked at uh, Ramah Ohai in, I think, the 60s um, as a madrich, 50s or 60s, way back. So it's it's been a place that's been a lo- long been a part of our family. Uh, and it was somewhere that I came for the first time when I was in Magshimim. And that experience is, and it's funny to almost think about that Ramah experience because it, kind of my perception of Ramah when I first came in in 2006 was so wildly different. It was our going into eighth grade um, and it was a phenomenal summer, um, but it was one where I was kind of really you know, figuring it out. And, and really all of my camper summers, to me, I really identify as a, an opportunity that I was kind of figuring out who I was. Every summer was so different. Um, I made some of my closest friends. Uh, many people who are in my bunk, in my tree back in 2006 are people I'm still close with. But for the most part, each, each one of my camper summers is really close to my heart, but it isn't quite when what is Ramah finally deeply sunk in because I had a great time. Um, but it's, you can have a, lot, a great time in a lot of places. And for me personally, the moment when Ramah became something so much greater than any, than any you know, softball game or any uh, activity or any evening moment spending time with your friends was when I came back on seven, when I came back on staff. And I came back and I was working with uh, with those 12 and 13 year olds, that same group that I had started with, Armakshi Mimers, rising eighth graders for the first time. And it was that summer that I really realized how, how much I believe in Ramah and how much I fell in love. And the thing is, is that it, this job and, and being a seventh member, being a Chanich, being a, a, being a camper, being a Rosh division head at Ramah is this unique opportunity where you get an outsized amount of responsibility than anything you have ever felt before, right? 18 year olds aren't given this type of responsibility in other places. A friend of mine who's a, uh, was also a division head, we used to joke that being a Rosh is the worst job to prepare you for life because it prepares you to be like a 45 year old business owner because like when in the name of God, are you getting this much opportunity kind of control your own destiny? But for me, that Ramah moment happened my very second night. And it was, it was my second night as a madrich, as a counselor, and we were going to sleep. And there were these 14 different kids, wonderful kids, kids I still know and who are no longer kids, uh, sitting around 
in in this bunk uh, falling asleep. And that day we had run around and I had helped uh, helped one of them figure out a personal problem and helped another navigate a friendship issue they were having and helped a third when they got hurt and sat and talked with them while they were kind of recovering emotionally. And it was, it dawned on me how incredible it was that I was able to be in these circumstances. And it showed that Ramah puts trust in its constituents and its population um, to be able to care for one another and show the mutual uh, mutual kind of uh, responsibility that Ramah expects its community to hold for each other. That's the most empowered I've ever felt that first night. And as I sat there laying in bed thinking to myself, just wow, it's incredible how this thing works. It's really, really beautiful. And so for me, that was kind of my moment where I realized, okay, this isn't just you know something fun I do during the summers, but this has so much more meaning to me. That's so true. That's so true. Um, so can you explain to everybody how you ended up being in Nivonim, uh, our oldest Ida, for six summers? And like, what made you what made you um, so interested in that program? And yeah. what did you, you felt like you contributed to it? What did you get out of it? Uh, I, I love Nivonim. I, like, not only do I think it's the best, not only do I think it's like one of the best programs Vermont has to offer, but I, I think it's one of the best programs the Jewish community in America has to offer. I, I just, it really is that special. And my first time, you know, I was a camper. I went through, you know, the typical experience here is it was my first time ever going to, to camp for two months. And I was nervous. I was definitely nervous ahead of time. I was nervous about Edgar, <laughs> our uh, camping trip. I was nervous about a lot of things. Um, but I remember getting there and it was, it was actually one of the first times when I was a camper where I was able to kind of put my anxiety behind me and like, become a, my goofy self. People who know me now don't realize how quiet I used to be. And many of my camper friends actually joke about this because, you know, you would never know. But I, I was a silent camper for the first three years. And frankly, I was a silent person in, in my home life, too. And Nivonim 2009, uh, led by Ethan Lukowski, who's an incredible Rush rabbi, Ethan Lukowski, sorry, who's uh, um, now rabbi in New York, uh, created some unbelievable experiences for me and, and allowances for me to kind of shine and say for the first time that yes, like I'm comfortable being here and being part of the attention and feeling like I am contributing. And so I love Nivonim then and it was great, um, but it was also, you know, just that kind of that experience. But I, I knew that that was something I'd love to kind of see again. And so then when I fell in love with camp on staff, I spent my first two years working with the same Eda in Magshimim and Bogrim, our uh, rising eighth and ninth graders. And I said, okay, like, it's my third year as being a counselor. I'm able to do this. I got a call from the who the person who was going to be the Rosh Nivonim that summer saying he really wanted me to come to Nivonim. Uh, it was David Offit. And I said, you know what? Okay, like, let's try this out. And that summer in 2013 was one of the most unbelievable summers in our, my life. And the reason is, and, and, the rest would be too. I, I, the, the next year I stuck around, I did it again. I actually signed on to be in Nivonim during that summer for the next summer. I said, as long as we build a water fountain in the Kfar, yes. we'll come back. I got it in the, my contract. I'm very proud. Uh, and in 2014, I said, okay, like I'm in another incredible summer. I then went to become a Rochada on Makshimim once, but again, I knew I wanted to be back in Nivonim. I believed in that program so much. And I ended up being a Rochada there three times in a row, always figuring out by the every way I could to kind of make it work in the context of the rest of my life. And so it kind of kept happening truthfully because it was so incredible and because each time was so different. The reason I love Nivonim so much is because we just don't have this level of 
empowerment of our 16 year olds. Yes, it's the leadership program. Yes, it's, you know, the, uh, the nonsense and silly shenanigans and the idea that like we can dream as big as we want. And that's what I used to tell our staffs is that like, if you are not, I would rather us shoot for the stars and fail over and over again than I would uh, have us like run out of stations, put a lot of like we, we will, we will do like, we will shoot for greatness every single second. And I was really fortunate to work with people both when I was on Madrid uh, as a counselor, as well as when I was a Roche Da who really were willing to kind of take that shot. And so for me, that's what Nevo Neem's about. It's about being, it's bigger, it's grander. It's, it's, it's everything that you've ever wanted to do and said, oh, that might take too much time, effort or resources and saying, let's make it happen. Like, and, and that really the best moments of Nivonim have been those silly, incredible shenanigans that really were able to create that within the context of being able to teach serious Jewish values. It's a two month program. It's intensive. We ask a lot a lot of our campers and it's frankly it's really hard and if any of you have ever spent two months with anyone you know how hard it is to you know have those incredible experiences and Shira I mean you just went through this it's 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 like it's really like nothing else and I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that being a counselor in Nivonim is the greatest job on earth um, it's the most fun I've ever had um, in being on that stuff and it's about saying okay we have these incredible expectations. We have a group of people who know what they're doing. How high can we fly? And that for me encapsulates the Nivoni mentality and why I think it's such an incredible, impactful opportunity. That's so true. I couldn't agree more. There's like, there's never a moment that you don't want to try your hardest at a pula or uh, just do something totally ridiculous. Um, so. Absolutely. My favorite thing I hear from staff whenever I have pre-summer conversations in Nivonim, they're all so nervous. And one, I can actually, I think I can think of so many seven members who look at me and go, I don't, like the campers, expectations are so high. I don't want to let them down. And that's scary, but it's also as motivating as it gets. We will push each other to like strive for greatness. Um, yeah. And it's really beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because they go their whole... Nivo, uh, camp lives just thinking about that two months that they'll have in Nivonim. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's very high expectations that are hard to match, but when you yeah. get to exceed them, it's even more special. Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. So, um, uh, for those who of you who don't know, RA is, uh, camp wide, he's known as a very, um, impressive st storyteller. Um, and you got a little sense of that already, I'm sure. But I was wondering if you would mind, first of all, how did you like become known as at camp for this title of best storyteller ever? Um, frankly, I don't know about best. There are some great storytellers, but frankly, I what so there's a thing I always joke about. And we're often asked during Karga'a, that, you know, moment before people are going to sleep uh, at night where often counselors would do something or tell stories or say something kind of get the kids in the mood for bed or kind of, you know, something to wrap up the end of the night and every camp calls it something different. Um, and, uh, you know, I always liked t telling stories and frankly, I like talking and I can own that. Um, but one thing that I always found interesting is when I was a camper, um, most of the Harga Oat, these moments were stories, like an overwhelming amount of them. And as I was getting older, I noticed, and especially when I got on the staff, that it was more and more people with talents and people with like different skills, right? Like we'd bring people in who could play the guitar. We'd bring people in who could do some other thing. And the idea of just sitting around and telling a story, it was kind of not, you know, never disappearing, but slowly, slowly moving back a little bit more and more and more. Um, and 
I always felt that like, first off, I don't really have any of those talents. And I was like, okay, like I want to make sure I can do something where like I can keep my campers entertained and that we can have fun. And I used to always like acting when I was a little kid. And I said, all right, like let's dive into it. So, you know, I realized that there were a lot of fun stories at camp to tell. And I firmly believe that people who have good stories are people who try to put themselves into position to have good stories. Um, stories are only half luck, but an important half of luck. And so, you know, the more I kind of thought of it, the more I leaned into it, the, <laughs> that's kind of how it all came around. Yeah. I feel like as a counselor, I like, I had a, I had a book you as the storyteller and David often is the singer. And if I did that, then my campers were happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Yeah, no, it's, uh, these stories are, they're all just so much fun. And, and I really feel like that's, right, that's like what the biggest thing is. It's just they, they, they help you share a little part of you um, and, uh, and help you kind of make an experience for people that is really beautiful. Yeah, for sure. So would you mind sharing any Vermont story? It could be from your time as a camper, a counselor, whatever it is, uh, oh. something that there's so many, there's so many good ones. Um, so many over the years that kind of make me laugh or make me whatever they make me smile. I, I really always say there's a story for every situation, um, and I and I really do believe that. Um, but I think one thing I'm going to do is because we talked about Nivonim and I've been in Nivonim a lot of times with a lot of different people. I kind of want to talk about the way Nivonim change a story that will kind of illustrate the way the Nivonim space change um and so for those of us who you know are alumni who were campers a little bit ago you know I'm not so old but I'm old enough uh, we the the space in which the oldest data Nivonim lives is very different now um than it used to be now it's these two gorgeous buildings back then we lived in tents and well frankly they weren't exactly you know so we weren't, we, they were totally fine, um, but they were a little bit susceptible to things like rain or things like, um, uh, or, or, you know, the weather or potentially flaps getting loose all over the place. And one story I love to tell to Nibbo Nibbers now is the story of what would actually happen during when some of these things went down. So, so I'll tell you one from when I was a camper at Nivonim. One thing that every Nivonim knew is that one of your Nikayon jobs, one of your jobs for cleaning in the morning was to pull up the flaps of the tent. We'd take these 10 flaps and we'd tie them to the top and people would go around and you learned how to do it and you learned the, you learned the knots and you learned you know, how to pull things together. And it was great. And that was just one of the things you had to do. It was kind of annoying, but you know, it was, it was, part, it was to air it out. Yeah, you had to air it out. Also, it was really, oh, really gross. I mean, we've got 16 kids living in like a small, relatively close tent. Yeah. Yeah, 16, like eight 16 year olds, it was ugly. Nonetheless, right, you needed to air them out so that we could all make it through the day. And the one problem with that meant is that whenever it would rain, anything would get soaked if your flaps were not down. And so there were all these stories and, and you know, I've told Shira some of these before and I'm not even sure if I'm gonna tell the same one as before because there were all these stories of what would happen when it would start raining and who would be where and why and what would happen next. And one of my favorite stories um, is we were all sitting eating in the old Hadara Hall, the old dining hall, which was not so far away from where all these tents were. But here we are, you know, we're a bunch of 16 year olds smiling, chatting, yelling, eating, 
probably playing with our food and we're all having fun. And then all of a sudden you hear one big boom and that's the, it's the first crack of, it's the first rumble of thunder and then the crack of lightning. And we all look at each other, but you know, it rains. Sometimes it thunders, sometimes it rains, whatever. It's not necessarily connected. And then suddenly we hear another one, a big boom, crack. And we look at each other and it all of a sudden starts pouring like I've never seen before. The rain is coming down so hard, slapping down on the side, on the side of the of the Khadar hall, of the dining hall. It's, it's as if there's just yelling all around. And we look up and someone's Screams in that scream that you would hear every year. Nivumin back then. Get the flaps! Get the flaps! Lower the flaps! And all of a sudden, you see eight campers or six campers for those tents that we had take off as fast as they could. These Nivumimers running towards the choir to try to take them down. And it was my turn, my responsibility of the flaps that day. And there I go, running as fast <laughs> as I can, going quickly, trying everything I can to be able to get these things down before the rain totally and utterly soaks everything and i get there and on this particular time when it was my responsibility we it is a lost cause the whole place is getting absolutely soaked and i start trying to roll down flaps and i start trying to yank things aside and i end up yanking one of the ropes and it ends up getting myself taught like my hand all caught and i can't figure out how to take it down and things are getting wet and at one point i'm just like oh my goodness like i don't even know what i what i could do about this anymore and it's just pouring and everyone else pretty much gotten their flaps down, returned to the hotel and I am just standing there struggling. <laughs> I see people in the distance kind of looking at me saying, are you, what is going on? And I can't do it. I can't lower the flaps. And eventually I finally get them there and there is just a puddle on the ground of our tent. Like we are talking like, it's like there's a little baby pool <laughs> in the middle and it's in the, and it, it's in the bed and I sit down on the bed <laughs> Sit there in the water, and all next thing you know, the sun comes out. It's like five minutes later, and the sun comes out. As anyone who's been to Ramal like Palmer, knows, as anyone who knows has been to Ramal Palmer knows, anything can happen with the weather. Uh, and I'm sitting there in this soaked rain, and everyone kind of comes in, and it's my tent mates, and they all just give me a look. It's like somewhere between a smirk and sympathy, where they're just sitting there, and I'm sitting there in a, my bed in a puddle of water, and they look, and they just shake their head, and my counselor just hands me a plate, and he says, this is lunch, you missed lunch, and we sit there, and everyone's and so the story was not only great because of the moment of everyone coming and helping and me sitting there with no idea what to do in the rain, but the best part about it is actually not even then, but this incredible feeling from five years later. Because even now, if I'm in the Chadar Ochel, in that dining hall, and it starts raining, my one of my first thoughts is, oh, are the flaps rolled down? And I'm like, well, that's not how we do things anymore. Like, that's not necessary. But in 2013... It was a really hot day, and there's one more tent that's in where the Nivonimers live, and it's for the Moadon, for their kind of like um, multi-purpose space, and it's and it's it's there, and it was really hot, and people were baking inside the tent, and someone comes up to me and David Offit and the rest of our seven, our staff, who are all kind of older people who've been at camp beforehand, and says, "It's really hot. What can we do?" And we look at them, we say, "Oh, roll up the flaps," and they look at us and they say what? What's that even mean? <laughs> and we looked at each other like, oh, this visceral experience that we all shared that was like kind of a root of Nivonim for so many years is gone. So 
That day, we taught a lot of campers how to roll up flaps. I'm not sure if they've ever used that skill since, but for me, that was a nice, like, Lador Vador moment of, oh, we got to pass this on. Uh, um, thanks for sharing. Um, okay, so uh, switching gears again, I just want to ask, um, so I know after you graduated from Maryland, you spent some time in Latvia. Yes. So can you tell everybody a little bit about that experience? Like, did it compare at all to your time at Roma? Um, and like, what was your title? Uh, everything. Well, it's hard to compare anything to Latvia, which was <laughs> one of a kind experience and uh, an experience I hold near and dear. So I, I was one of the long-term fellows for the J, for the JDC's J, uh, the JSC program through JDC Entwine. Um, and uh, they do year long fellowships to different Jewish communities all around the world where you kind of ingrate yourself in these communities, learn about them, engage in them. And, and that was an incredible experience for me. I don't know what my technical title was, but it's, you know, fellow slash yeah. something or another. I worked in their JCC with, an incredible woman, you know, and, and some really incredible friends. Um, and I spent time doing Jewish programming with Latvian teens, um, consulting on the summer camp, um, editing things for the social center, learning about the Latvian community, working in schools, and generally doing my best to become part of the community. And the reason that that experience was so incredible for me is because I like they, like the Latvian Jewish community and the Baltic Jewish community as a whole, love Jewish summer camp like intensely and it's wild they have the Sarvash stuff the international summer camp that right. they go through. they also have their own Baltic summer camp that I had the privilege to spend time at for their two-week summer camp in 2017 I was able to go in the middle of my time at Ramah which was really incredible and, and a big thank you to both Ramah and there and Latvia for being able to help me have those two experiences summer camp there is very different <laughs> um, so it is it is very quirky it's all in russian and i do not speak russian so that was definitely an, an interesting and exciting experience um but the community there was so that was kind of one of the ways that i was most able to connect to people on my first incredible experience there was um being a madrich a, a counselor for their spring camp which is a seven-day spring camp that they have each spring, it was such an incredible experience. And I kind of got to like get back into the old flow of things and do silly things. My campers were 16 years old um, for the most part. It was, it was just so much fun. And to this day, I still have close friends from those two years in Latvia. I actually just this past September went to my friend Oleg and Christina's wedding in back in Riga, uh, which was beautiful. And it was so amazing to see those people and remember these connections we built. And I truly believe that Rama and camp there share so much of what makes summer camp special, which is this unprecedented opportunity for exploration and agency um, that makes everything so amazing. That's so cool. And then like today, do you, how does Vermont influence your work today? Um, like yeah. their skills that you learned? Yeah. Great story. So after when I came back from Latvia, I decided to get into politics. I spent a little bit of time in um, uh, on, on the Hill as an intern in Congress. And uh, I actually would, when I was didn't have anything to do, sometimes I would plan to load about politics in my free time. Um, I have some really, really great ones saved up in the bank. Please um, share. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were some very silly ones. Um, but, uh, but so we'd have so much fun and I was having so much fun doing that. And, you know, I, I missed that side. And then eventually I was asked to come uh, be a campaign manager for two really incredible candidates in Fairfax County. One who was running for school board, Call Fresh, one who was running for supervisor, Supervisor Dalia Palchik. And when we won those races, Dalia asked me to stay on with her. Uh, the, the supervisor asked me to stay on and 
beyond her her staff. And she has been an incredible teacher to me, who's taught me so much, who also she's someone who like care and really sees the value in camp. And our first conversation, she told me how incredible it was that I was a, a counselor and that I did all these things at camp, which really made me feel right at home. Um, but one of the stories is just three days ago, I get a call from her and, and you know, we're working on all of these different things. Our, our area is, is Fairfax County, one of the districts of Fairfax County called Providence. It includes Tyson's, if that means anything to people. Um, and, you know, Tyson's is awesome. I can plug it all day. Um, but, but, uh, but, you know, we've been working on all these different things and I was, you know, getting talking points ready for an affordability summit. And I was, you know, doing all of these things and I get a call from her uh, I get a text from my, my boss, uh, Supervisor Palchik, going, I need your expertise. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know if I've done anything to warrant the title expertise yet, but we'll see what this is about. So I get a call and, and she gives me a call. She goes, hey, I need your expertise. And I said, okay, about what? And she goes, I'm about to talk to 30 teens and I need some help. <laughs> and about like, what, what do you think I should talk about? And you I really go, have the expertise in this. This is, this is where I have some expertise. This is kind of my wheelhouse. And it's amazing how many times the camp experience has been able to allow me to do things in ways that, you know, are really new. And a lot of that is knowing how to work, work on a staff, with a staff, um, and, and motivate people. A lot of that has to do with, uh, the kind of being able to think outside of the box and remembering how to have fun in the context of things that are hard work. And, and those, you know, those values are really incredible. And a lot of it is just the interpersonal skills that are needed to be able to do these things. And especially during campaign stuff, a lot of it is just the value of being able to go above and beyond and like want to shoot for the stars. And Kim really gave me those incredible experiences. And my life has been surrounded by camp people. They are still everywhere in my life from those who I knew from when I was a camper to those who I only really became close with the very end of my time on staff. And so it is an ever present piece of my life. Yeah. And like you said, like you're a 45 year old businessman at the age of 24, whatever. Right. So it's really true. And right. it's, it really is. It's, it's the goofy thing, right? One day, if you work at Ramah and especially if you end up being a Roche Da or anything, people who, who want to do that one day, um, there's no other better way to prepare to both work with people and be able to work with the staff and motivate that staff and, you know, understand how to set a goal and understand how to have a holistic approach to an experience and say, all right, let me think of all the different pieces here. Let's talk about visioning. Let's do big picture thinking. And then let's actually put it in play. It's really incredible. Were there any skills with your own Sevet that you tried to help them um, create? that uh, if they were lacking anything was there anything specifically that you a wanted million, them a to million. see a million they're like a million things and, and I love kind of being in that teacher role and that was something I really valued I had some really incredible people work for me and I, I'm really I, like I could not I can't say enough that so much of my own what I feel like was success at camp is due to the to especially as Roche Da was due to the people who worked for me and as a Madrid the people who worked with me um they they were so incredible really truly incredible as well as the the mentorship from above and so for me it was about helping guide them to be able to succeed in the same way that they were able to guide me to succeed and some of that was you know little goofy rules and and reminders that I would tell people one of my big things is I would always try to remind people what are your values whenever you're doing a pillow lab you need to always be kind of value focused and ask yourself, especially if there's kind of two choices in your life, which is the one that kind of lines up, right? Like what are the things that we care about? Don't set up for 
your next activity in the end of tefillot. Our value here is the importance of, of our Jewish life. And if something else has to start a little bit later, that's okay. We make that choice actively, right? We don't want inertia to make decisions in our lives. But the biggest thing for me that I was able to realize when having people work for me is how specific each person's needs are um, and how different each counselor kind of relates. And I've worked with counselors really similar to me and I've worked with them who are really different from me and, and, you know, people who I've struggled to, uh, to connect with. One of my favorite one-on-one stories with someone who I won't say her name, but she'll know who she is, is um, a counselor who I was not particularly emotive at the, at the time that we worked, that she worked for me. And I, one time I said, so how's your summer going? She said, no, it's fine. It's good. And I said, really good or great. She was like, great. And I was like, okay, like on a scale of one to 10, how, what would you say the summer? And she goes, oh yeah, I got 10. I was just like, all right. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, really, we're so many different people. The idea that, like, there are people who need to be motivated and want to be pushed and, like, want competition. And there are people who really don't like competition and, like, want to be able to focus in. And there are people who need to, like, turn on their creative side of their brain and work really hard and saying, okay, how do I, like, expand upon what I do? And there are also people who, you know, really need to learn how to take their mind and put things on paper. And the best thing I learned is a, the connection to all of those is by developing strong connections with my Tebet, with my ear staff, which is something I tried to do really intensely and, and something I really deeply care about. And I, I hope I succeeded in, in being able to connect to each of them on there and meet them where they're at, as opposed to expecting them to come to me. Um, but in addition, understanding the fact that it's also about one of my favorite things that I try to tell people is the best thing you can do, not only as a boss, but as someone who works with someone, is identify what are the things that make other people amazing. And that's something I've always tried to do. And my strong belief in that, in, in validating people, um, to the point sometimes where it's a little bit silly, um, where it's important to be able to recognize what someone does great. Because once you can nail that down, A, you can use them a lot better. And B, you can make them feel like you're watching and that you care. And that when it's time to also give negative feedback or constructive criticism, uh, it, you're able to do that in a way because it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of care. And that's that's kind of one of the biggest lessons I've learned and tried to impart. And I, I learned that from my Rashid uh, and that I've tried to impart to the many people who've worked for me who have now gone on to work for, uh, to have staffs of their own. Yeah, and even, in the, and then the, also the Nivanim counselors can use that in their own hadracha, their own training, because uh, the Nivanimers go through that as well. Um, I know I tried to do that as best as I could. Absolutely. Um, so it's definitely a generational um, important lesson to learn. Um, cool. So I was also thinking that we could do a fun little speed round of questioning. So I'll just like Ooh, throw out a few like fun. this or this or what your favorite thing is. Um, and we can uh, see what answers are. Maybe some of our listeners have uh, answers that would match yours. So we can All find right. things in common with Arye. All right. See what you got, Shira. Okay. So first, what's your favorite fun fact about camp? My favorite fun fact about camp? Yeah. Oh. That's that's an interesting one. Oh, how fine. Here's a fun fact. It took exactly one week after the building of the Bedam Gadol for someone to kick a hole in it. Oh, did they try to do like they were trying to kick a wall or Yeah, it was uh, yeah. I, uh it was during basketball practice. Uh, yeah. Sixteens and decided to kick a wall and it went straight through. The building had just opened. It was twenty twelve. It was Oh no. I was wild. <laughs> 
that's our big uh, that's our big gym. In yeah, the... that was your da actually. So oh, many... lucky me! That's yeah. so funny. Um, um, okay. Oh, and last question: uh, What is the best poolah you've ever planned, or one of? Oh, you planned many poolahs in your so in your days, so you can choose maybe a top two. Okay, I'm gonna give. I'm going to give, so there are like a million choices here, but I'm going to give one that just because it was really, it's really recent and we planned it um, really recently for in 2018, my last summer at camp. And that was something that we called the Nivo NASDAQ. Um, the, it, was, it, was, it was created because we were trying to figure out something goofy to do. And it was created because one of my, my staff members, Eli Racklin, came to Little House when I was on, when I was kind of sitting there and says, and I was like, okay, we need to like, think of like, think of an activity, <laughs> think of a bit of a laugh. We thought of it for about 20 minutes and like figured out what would become one of the greatest things we ever did in like a 20 minute span of schmoozing. And it turned out what we pretty much did is let the kids buy stock in anything. We gave them fake money, added a bunch of Jewish components in terms of the way like things were bought and sold and, and like how you bought and sold things, gave them papers where they were able to like, control their stocks and like let them buy stock in anything. Like you could buy stock in each other's friends. You could buy stock in hair. You could buy stock in the theoretical value of Camp Ramah. Like it was so silly. We collected all of the stocks and put a slideshow every day that shows which stocks would go up and which stocks would go down. Um, and by the end, most of the stocks, you know, most stocks were doing well. The Tickle Monster was doing badly for a while. Um, someone bought a lot of stock in the Tickle Monster. And uh, it was this silly thing that every day for like, a week and a half, we would in the Chara Ochel have this uh, have this thing happen where we would see whose stocks would go up and whose stocks would go down. It was just so silly because it had some nice Jewish components. It had a lot of different shenanigans. Um, it was it was uh, engaging, and anyone could kind of participate at their own pace um, and in whichever context they wanted to do. And it was something that we were kind of able to like show off the fun we were having to the rest of camp. Right. So all of those things together makes it really one of the greatest pool that I've ever been a part of. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was, it was right. expand uh, like a whole week, I think it was. Right. Yeah. Um, so it really got, people got really yeah. invested in it. For there was some really good that summer. There was also the Yom driver's ed. There, there, there were some very silly, silly things. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun just to start with the title of a, of a Yom or a Pula and then work from there. Yeah, one of my, that's actually one of my big things that I think um, when I think when people want to re-understand how to brainstorm and try to get more creative ideas is kind of like let the nonsense of your mind flow a little bit. Like start shouting things out. Don't worry about creating a lot. Don't worry about doing something. Just start from the basis of the nonsense and like find the form within it as opposed to trying to, you know, go the other way. And I think starting with silly titles is an exact fantastic example of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I just want to end, but I want to I want to leave the floor a little open to you. So this past week, um, the last of the Ramah camps have unfortunately closed for the kites, um, and obviously it's very devastating. And I um, my heart goes out to every all the chanichim and the madrichim and to all the year-round staff have been who have been working so hard to ensure the safety of the campers. Um, so if you have anything to say to all those Madrikim and Hanikim, and especially if you want to say something to um, the oldest day at every camp, whether that's Nimonim or Gesher, Mahon, Jolie, Alonim, there's a lot of them. I probably missed a few. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's really sad. And sometimes you feel like you're separated out a bit from it. And it's been, you know, two years now since I've been at camp, but it really still, it hurts. And, and it's a sad time. And I think we can lean into that a little bit and understand that, you know, the important values that have been made and, and the, the important and correct choices to be able to prioritize safety is as much a Ramah value as anything else. And I think we can take some comfort in knowing that all of our camps have acted in, the, uh, in accordance with their values. Um, so that, that kind of gives me a little bit of hope and, remind, and helps me remember that Ramah isn't just a summer camp. It's, it's you know, borderline a way of life. It's, it's kind of a way you want to think about the world. Um, but what I, would say, what I would say to people is this, is I rarely ever hear anyone say something along the lines of, yeah, my one summer at Ramah was amazing. Because Ramah isn't about summers. It's not about this like individual singular experience. It's about kind of how Ramah fits into your life. Uh, and part of that is because people love it so much that they keep coming back. But your Ramah experience is defined through the idea of the amount of time you spend there and the different experiences that you have and how they come together. It's like a great television show with really good character development, right? Who you are when you start your Ramah experience is never who you are when you finish it. And this is not an end. And not only is that true for the many campers, staff, year-round staff in particular, who have worked so hard and been so excited to make this summer a thing, but even to those in the oldest Eda, I have spent so much time and you know how much I love the program. But Nivunim is not the end of your Ramah experience. It might be your last summer as a camper and you might be missing it. And that's really hard. That is really hard. But it's not the end of your Ramah story. It's really, frankly, if you're 16, it's just the beginning. There is so much more great Ramah out there that shows you things that you never thought were possible. So yes, you're gonna miss your sports games and you're gonna miss your friends. But one thing you'll still be able to get is that feeling of what makes Ramah special. And I promise you that even without this summer, even without having that immediate experience, that absolute love, that communal experience, that feeling, those silliness, they don't go away. This is just the beginning. And frankly, Seth, that's where it's at. So get excited, get ready, and it'll be okay. It really will. Amazing. Thank you so much. And um, I want to thank you, uh, everyone, so much for joining us on our Colbert Ramah podcast. I want to thank Aria for um, giving us his time and sharing some of his incredible stories um, with us. And I hope everybody uh, stays safe and healthy. And I'm looking forward to when we can all be together again soon. Thanks so much, Shira. This is lots of fun. Me and Aria behind me are very, very thrilled. <laughs> Shalom, and thank you for tuning in to Kol Barama. If you're looking for more information about Camp Ramah overnight and day camps, Israel programs, year-round events, and virtual offerings, please visit our website at www.campramah.org. Mm-hmm.